It's those two assholes. <clears throat> those two idiots you saw me talking to at the third rail. Just he doesn't want to touch the third rail. That, that is the third rail, saying white people have interest. Third rail. The third rail here is uh, another wonderful show on our on the uh, TRS network. And it's the third rail. You will be destroyed. It's the third rail. You will be destroyed. Watch out for the third rail, baby. That's how folks in the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. So, we're like doing another podcast? Didn't we already do one last month? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> For a second, oh I, thought gonna, I thought you were going to tell me you, you couldn't hear the intro and I was going to lose it. No, no, no. I just didn't realize we were going to do another podcast tonight, but uh, I guess we we oh, have to. Oh, you 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 realize you would have to do another podcast. You like because you do a lot of podcasts, and you specifically do a lot of podcasts. I've been off. I agreed that I have been off for a couple of weeks. I did a little traveling, saw some family, went to a reunion of all things. Nothing like flexing on people when you still have your hair and your you know your belly is not sticking out. But uh, hi, everybody. How are you? It is Spectre. Owning the libs with Let's Go, Brandon. Jesus Christ. And he just started his new job as a plainclothes juggalo. It is Borzoi Boscovich. <laughs> How you doing, Borzoi? <laughs> a plainclothes juggalo is just called somebody from Michigan. Exactly. Uh, I don't even know what we're doing tonight. I do have some prep and stuff we can go over, but did you have anything in particular you wanted to talk about? No, I just I, I mostly just this because people were wanted to hear you again. And I was like, OK, let's do that. We'll we'll bring Spectre I, back on. I find that hard to believe that anybody wouldn't hear me. I don't want to hear me half the time. But um, uh, let's see now. OK, uh, I mean, we're just going to go right into this or what? Is there I mean, it, is there something I don't know. Like, are, we, are, we doing, are we doing like a weird relationship thing where there's something we're supposed to be talking about? We're waiting for the other person to bring it up first. I think like, I'm a little. Normally, I do that with you, but I'm actually not mad at you. So, well, that's a change. And agree to disagree. You're always angry. But um, no, no, I'm always, no. There's a difference between being always being angry and always being angry at you specifically. Oh, I see how that works. Okay. Well, uh, I've by taking a couple of weeks off and, and uh, largely disengaging myself from social media, it's been done wonders for my mental health, and uh, it has reduced the toxic rage, while at the same time adding fuel to the righteous rage over things going on, on, on over Clown World, over Piss Earth, and. While I was disengaged from social media, for the most part, I was still listening to podcasts. And I think that that's healthy for, especially you, since the, the amount of content you put out, to just absorb what other people are saying. And that way you can parrot it back. And that's what I'm going to be doing. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, it, it just it, – it gives you that like, oh, I want to say something about that. Oh, I want to say something about that. Well, you know? To, you know, to, to paraphrase the old – uh, the old Marx joke. I, I wouldn't want to be friends of anybody who listens to me for content. Exactly. That's where <laughs> I'm going with this. But, um, so, uh, where should I start with this? 
I, I kind of wanted to talk about like just the concept of envy and how that has, you know, in a lot of the media about oh uh, white nationalism, about the state of things. It's they always talk about how it's hate, 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 and of course hate and violence. They have to link those two as if they were synonymous, so that your thought, your personal thoughts and opinions and messages between friends, uh, if they if you say something they don't like, they can call that violence and therefore act upon it um yeah you sent me that and i didn't really have time to process what you meant by all that so sure let's 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 talk about that we might as well just get into that first what do you what do you exactly do you mean by envy well i've quoted this before and i think it always bears repeating once in a while um the great joe soberin he he wrote the um, the concept of envy the hatred of the superior has dropped out of our moral moral vocabulary the idea that white Christian civilization is hated more for its virtues than its sins doesn't occur to us because it's not a nice idea. Western man towers over the rest of the world in ways so large as to be almost inexpressible. It's, it is Western exploration, science, and conquest that have revealed the world to itself. Other races feel like subjects of Western power long after colonialism, imperialism, and slavery have disappeared. The charge of racism puzzles whites who feel not hostility but only baffled goodwill. Because they don't grasp what it means, humiliation. The white man presents an image of superiority even when he's not conscious of it. Superiority excites envy. Destroying white civilization is the innermost desire of the League of Designated Victims we call minorities. And I think that rings as true today as when he wrote it, and obviously it rings true throughout the centuries when you think about it. Um, I, I sent you an audio clip of Jared oh. Taylor. He was on with some mystery meat Indian lady. And he absolutely fucking wrecks. Oh, that's her. an Indian lady. I thought it was like Barry Weiss at first. I couldn't tell very well. Uh, I don't think it's Barry Weiss. I can't really tell who it is. It, she looks like some kind of Indian or uh, North African, Middle Eastern, some sort of mystery, some sort of brown who doesn't belong here. Since you since um, you sent it to me on Telegram, I'm also going to forward this. Actually, I'll put this on the uh, in the third rail channel here as well because the original poster is a separate channel, so that's okay. So. You, are you, do you mm -hmm. want to play it right now? Sure, absolutely. Chance for life, liberty, the pursuit. <laughs> yeah, chance me. for life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Right. That is the ideal. I, I no, know very well our founding no. fathers were slave owners. Yes, and I know yes. very well that they probably did not imagine that America would be today what it is. They However, would have been appalled by the idea. Furthermore, what you're saying, yet, what you're saying is somehow whites were about to choke to death on their own homogeneity when people like yourself kindly arrived from diversity and saved us from ourselves. No. We <laughs> a wonderful country that your ancestors could not have been. That is why people like you come here. And the more you come in larger numbers, you will change the country my ancestors built into something else. And it is completely normal for me to wish to oppose that. Mr. Taylor, I've taken enough of your time. The uh, the, the name you, is, you, her body the name is, by the way like, is uh, Amna. Wait, sorry, I was gonna say the name is Amna Nawaz. That was the name. <laughs> uncomfortable Sounds... Amna Nawaz. He he definitely made her uncomfortable. No shit. Well, I, I thought about that because we've gone through different labels throughout the years. You know, looking for the the word that really describes us best, and it, you know, and you know, there's a marketing brand issue involved that we don't want to acknowledge, but it's true. Um. But white supremacist has always been a, a, a term that – it's not that it sat uncomfortable with me, but because the idea of supremacy is a subjective one. It's like, well, supreme according to what your values and your people's values and your, your, your tribe's values are, 
you know, what we consider supreme may not be by others. I'm trying to be ec- ecumenical here. Um, by the way, however, isolated, isolated bishop calls her Amnat no ways. <laughs> and obviously, objectively speaking, uh, when you look at history, when you look at all of the, you know, objective measures of a civilization and its contributions to the world, Western European white civilization has objectively done more. So white supremacist is in and of itself also not a bad term because it, it fits. Um, but when well, here, like he mentioned, I'm sorry, go ahead. You, you know what? The, uh, the point I was going to make, while technically correct, is such an autistic discursion, I'm not even going to say it. I want you to continue. Please do. <laughs> okay. Well, a phrase that he used on her, which you could tell that, you know, if you could see her body language, it really kind of got to her. He said, you know, my ancestors, our ancestors, European ancestors, built a civilization that your ancestors could not. And so you came here. And that's 100 percent true. And that's what drives as much as, you know, there's raw hatred of white people. It is a hatred born of that envy. And that's where we see it in the white erasure taking around place around us. The double standards, the you know, uh, everything from statue removal to uh, re- character replacements and, and insertions of uh, non-white characters into white stories and interrogating the narrative of literally every piece of media, TV, movies, literature, fables, stories, traditions, history, even comedy. They have to interrogate the narrative to stamp out whiteness, to stamp out white racism, to stamp out systemic whiteness. And as with, say, Dune, where they have it to insert a whole bunch of non-whites, or if you saw the trailer for the new Batman that's coming out, all of a sudden uh, Catwoman is black. And, I know, yeah, I know we had that one back in the 90s that no one watched and everybody hated, but... It was also you know, Eartha, they, Eartha Kitt. Well... Didn't you yeah, watch that growing I, up? In reruns, I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help get the dig in. The old jokes never get old. Um, but like I saw last week that uh, uh, I think it was Charlottesville is going to they put up uh, a bid for people to take possession of the Robert E. Lee statue and do with it as they will. And like obviously, a lot of them were like black groups that wanted to melt it down to create a piece of public art, which you know would be another piece of public humiliation. Um, the way they write white people out of history, the the black Lancelot, the, the all the blacks in medieval, medieval England and, you know, uh, inserting, you know, uh, just whatever. All of this is because they could not build these things. And so they have to glom onto them. They have to uh, appropriate them if you want to use the, the PC term or whatever. Um, it just it's. Something that it, they, they can't take their foot off the gas. They are continually pushing this. And it is enraging in its own way. And it should be a positive fuel for you to, to, to drive you because you have to realize when you realize what they are doing and why. But it's in the long run, it doesn't matter as much because the future does belong to us. We can make new statues. We can write new histories. We can rename streets from MLK to George Lincoln Rockwell when we win. But I guess what I'm kind of like, I'm a little bit, I'm trying to see the bright side of the coin here. Um, 
well, they we, are pushing we, white we, people into a corner. And mm-hmm. when we win, it will be because they are radicalizing white people at a faster clip than any white nationalist ever could. I mean, we have Soviet tier propaganda journalism. We have, uh, you know, I hate to long or to, to glamorize the old days because, you know, the old days were never as good as we like to think. But there was a time when it was strictly men in charge of politics and who carried the burden of this. And it's where we get the idea that, you know, two people could this disagree vehemently, but then they'd shake hands and go out and have a beer afterwards. And the modern libtard, um, the, the feminine nature of the modern libtard has just destroyed that. Um, that's gone the way of scolding of the venal acrimonious nags who hate anyone who dares disagree with them. And they call anything that they disagree with disinformation, anything that questions the narrative. They've gone so far, and we, we've seen this, and I'm not exaggerating. They're consistently writing articles that say, don't question the science. Don't think for yourself, basically. Don't don't question this or that, uh, and the, in the open lies in their in their narratives, and it's again it's it's enraging. But when you realize that this is all they have, and as soon as that momentum is pulled, as soon as that wind stills for just a moment, and the sails fall slack, normality and normalcy returns, and the people who built this country, this civilization, everything that we love, can re uh, not re they can find themselves again and it really quickly immediately people start rejecting degeneracy when they're not being watched by the stasi and so i i guess what i was getting at is i thought a lot about that concept of envy and, and why we're hated and i thought about how it's enraging when all these little these slights happen to us but in the long run I think it's going to be part of the blueprint towards the future of our victory. Juliet, not applicable, said this, and I don't know why it tickled me so, but uh, very well said of the one who speaking now. You are the one speaking now. I just, I don't know why I just enjoyed that. <laughs> Juliet must be a new listener, and we appreciate that you, that's Specker who was speaking. But, uh, let me, let and then meanwhile, you. I have Tucker Tucker Waffen in the chat saying, Spectre, make a point in an inarticulate and succinct manner challenge. Impossible. <laughs> well, look, this is you've you've made a similar point before. And I, I'm going to ask you I'm going to ask you this and, and then I'll tell you something interesting that at least something I find interesting might not actually be interesting. But um, what do you think Faustian man is? You've heard, the, I know you've heard the, I, yeah, and, and I know you've heard the term, and I feel like oftentimes our guys, like we hear certain, you know, big brain, galaxy brain memes, and we nod our heads like, yes, I, yes, I understand, doesn't understand at all. I'm, I'm wondering if you know what Faustian man is. You, I know you've heard the term before, but do you know what that is? Am I expected to answer and describe it, or can I just say yes? <laughs> <laughs> That that basically answers it there, but you know, there's the long and short of it, and I can give the long academic answer of it. But the short of it is, is that you know, it's it's the aspect of our civilization that basically can pursue limitless space, because not all mm-hmm. civilizations are are for are forward looking. Now, sometimes like what that's con, you know construed to mean is like, oh, we must be technologically advanced. Like actually, no, that's um. 
that's a completely different access to to this whole paradigm. I'll never forget, and this was a couple of years ago when you did, and I made a whole little, I put, I did a little speech that I I clipped out and I put some, uh, uh, some, uh, I can't pronounce it right because it's, it's French, uh, Sansane, uh music behind it, and about mm-hmm. you know people, our ancestors just looking out across the vast ocean, going, I'm gonna cross that. And that's like so. When you were talking about like building new statues, that's that's basically what I what I was thinking of because you know the colonial aspect, the whole pioneer aspect. There was always this idea that yes, going to this new world is an extension of some sort of the old world, but at the same time, it also really wasn't because you kind of knew you were going in. I mean, that's why we called it the new world. You're going into right. a, into a new space. And that's like, to me, it matters less that artifacts of the past are preserved more and more so that the people who are capable of understanding why things need to be preserved, still have that spirit to preserve them. Mm hmm. And I think that's kind of the point you were getting at. As long as you know, as long as that fire still exists, that matters more than the fact that there's setbacks, losses, destruction. I mean, maybe it's also because I, I kind of look. I kind of look at the Chinese sometimes as a lesson. That's a civilization that's gone through so many different, so many different cycles and so many different and different aspects. Like they've they've destroyed their own history at least twice. The, they've destroyed their own history at least twice. So, yeah. and they and I'm not saying we need to be like the Chinese or that we could ever be like the Chinese, but I see the the ability to to do that as something instructive. Yeah, I. Oh no! Now, now, and this is—I'm sorry. Like, I forgot the anecdote I was going to talk about with with regard to oh. this because we didn't really because you've been gone. Maybe this is the perfect time to talk about this. Um, we didn't, nobody really talked about Columbus Day all that much. I know Tedious kind of remarked upon the, uh, you know, the whole debate of whether or not Columbus was like a converso or a Jew or what have you. Um, I don't know if you have any opinions on that. Yeah, it kind of goes to the point I was making earlier, which was, um, they can't create anything. They have to, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about the, the mass of people who aren't us, um, they have to glom onto it. Some are, you know, some that come to us are compatible, you know, in small doses. Um, I'm not going to try to be too ecumenical here. That's not my word of the day calendar thing. I just, for some reason, that word stuck in my head. Um, but they come to us, and then uh, they don't even try to build their own histories. I mean, there's there's the Afrocentric bullshit, but for the most part, they just want to insert themselves. Blacks built America. Um, Shakespeare was really black. Mozart was black. Um, so and so. They want to take what we have, claim it for themselves, and then put us down. And it's like I'm not saying I would celebrate an indigenous people's day, but I would not have a problem with it except for the fact that they intentionally put it on Columbus Day to try to attack Columbus. And you know, say what you will about the times, Columbus was a great man. Well, and here's uh, here's what I'll say on as well on the on the whole I because I had given some I I never looked into it 
I guess I'll put it that way because I, I I had heard like oh Columbus was actually a Jew Columbus was a converse as well like and I, I I didn't really have a strong opinion on that stuff but I I kind of was like eh. I mean after the whole Hamilton thing it's like okay anything's possible at this point so right. but then I found out what the actual scheme <laughs> of Columbus's scheme was so here's what here's what Columbus was trying to achieve at least this is according to what I read in God's Shadow. Uh, which is a book about the Ottoman Empire, but he has this, this whole fascinating discursion into Christopher Columbus, is that a couple of bodies basically washed up on the shore of Ireland which from the, from the New World, which gave Columbus the idea that the world was actually smaller than people had thought because it was basically a, a situation of the currents basically washing up these bodies. And so he's like, okay, actually, we can cross this thing. We, we can do this. And his whole idea, because at the time that was when the Ottoman Empire had cut off all these trade routes and all that, or made it much more difficult. So his idea was, I'm going to cross over to Asia, where I'm going to find these ancient lost cities of gold, basically, that had been founded by Christians who fled the Muslims who had conquered Spain and set up their own hidden Christian cities. I'm going to link up with them, tell them we're going to go have a crusade against the Muslims, get gold from them, then link up with the Mongols, because the Mongols had have always been more ambivalent towards Christianity. I mean, Genghis Khan's mother was a was a Nestorian Christian. So like, I'm, And then I'm going to set up an alliance with them, and we're going to smash the Muslims from the east. We're going to sneak up, sneak up on them from the east, smash them, conquer Jerusalem that way. And I think, like, there's no way a Jew came up with that. That is a that is Hell no. that, is, that is an insane scheme that was concocted with a white man with way too much ambition. That's so, like, that, that to me sealed it for me. Like, Columbus is white. There's only, only somebody who's white can come up with, with a, with a, idealistic cockamamie scheme like that and i and, you know and you can feel that like swell in your heart like that's like it's insane but it's admirable i kind of love it oh yeah absolutely i mean that's what's great about it even though it was it and that's what i'm saying it, you know you can say what you will about the times but columbus in that sense embodied the faustian spirit and that's why when i think about today and, and we think about how demoralized a lot of our people are and how self-hating they are uh the the masses of them have become um, and it would be hard to rescue them even if all the pressure that's on them from the media and society and, and education and corporate uh, influence, even if that were removed, a lot of them would still be cowed, would still not be uh, – they would not be the, the trailblazers and the, the embodiment of that spirit. But even in Columbus's time and before that, you go out throughout all of European history, there were the great men, but they were still in a minority they were setting the examples and leading their people and, and are, are setting the examples that inspired their people. And so I, when I look at that, I don't worry about today and tomorrow. I, I mean, we're in the middle of a fight and we, it's a long fight ahead of us, but, um, and it's a fight for the political soul and, and the soul and the, the, the political power and all that, not anything inappropriate. All of that's, seems like it's daunting right now, but when you take a, a longer view of history, you realize, you know, most people in Columbus's time never moved, you know, lived more than 10 miles away from where they were born. So the concept that we are somehow just we, we've been beaten down and like a beaten dog will never be able to recover that spirit. I, I say bullshit. 
Yeah, I'm just thinking about it. Basically, you you know, you have all these other civilizations. Their explorers is like I've discovered the city next door, and I got a map from them. Uh, oh, you know, white man, you know, explore exploration lore is just that is it's that uh, it, it's that cut they do of like the um you didn't have to you know what was it like somebody I used to know with the coral background. It's got all like the high definition zooming in of all the schizo posting lore. Like that's what white man exploration is. Yeah. And uh, you know a lot of a lot of our guys die, but it's because we take those risks that you know eventually you know you, you, you eventually become the luckiest man in all of history, and that's how that's yeah. really like that's the, that's the thing like you have like that's the most I think that's the thing that has to be articulated when we talk about um, whiteness because I don't talk about that as as much, but there you know there is something to be said about having a positive identity and having a nuanced identity on, on all that stuff and you know for what it means to be white is to take those kind of risks and oftentimes it doesn't work out but you know that's how you become the 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 lucky you know the luckiest civilization in history like even if you even if you were to take the whole guns germs and whatever uh, the, the steel yeah, the German diamond, German, the German, <laughs> the German diamond hypothesis, the Jared Diamond hypothesis. You know, even if we, it turned out we were the luckiest civilization in history, we still made something out of that. You know, the you can yeah. you can you can capitalize. I mean, a lot See, of civilizations grew up grew up next to literal gold, and they didn't make anything out of that. We that, capitalized about, on it. About to literally say that yeah. Africa is the most mineral rich. And uh, livestock rich and, and uh, fauna rich place on the earth. And when we got there, they still hadn't figured out how to do a wheel, much less a written language. All of their history was revealed to them by the colonizers. All of their uh, – the land that they lived on was mapped for the first time by the colonizers. Anything, whether it's the bullshit history they try to sell now or the actual history that we learn of them, which is usually pretty damning about their practices, we all – they, it was only revealed because of the white man coming, exploring, colonizing, harnessing all these minerals and these energies and you know, these resources. So I, I, I thought that ger guns, germs, and steel, even before I was woke when I read I thought this is absolute bullshit. And now that I'm uh, where I am now, I know in my heart and I, I know from actual evidence that it's all bullshit. I mean, you... you you give these other civilizations like all the tool, all, you know, all the opportunities and tools that we have, and and a lot of them don't make anything of it, or at most they just do a a pale copy of it. I mean, that's the thing. Like you need you need something that's. And I hesitate to use the word because I think even I've abused it. Like you need something with a futurist mindset in term, you know, with the whole idea. Like progress is, you know, there there is a fake and gay aspect to it. There's a whole cult of progress, but having this forward thinking notion of like where do we go from here and how, you know, even if it ends up being extremely risky to do such a thing, like it takes a certain mindset to have that. And that's, I mean, that's what our civil like. If there's anything. If you want to compare, for example, white and Asian civilizations, Asians, as you know, as competent as they can be, as innovative as they can be, they tend to be a lot more conservative, and they tend to be. See, I mean, this is maybe I'm thinking about this because we did a whole hyper podcastism on America against America, but I mean, Wang Huning saw 
Asia, like at least I saw China as like it put up this dichotomy between tradition and innovation and what he found striking about Americans and we were kind of the you know the forefront of that kind of Faustian civilization is that we saw innovation as tradition now I have some quibbles with some of the points he's making and all that but I understand where he's coming from like, what he's saying is that while we might have certain traditional morals like in terms of we're not conservative in a civilizational sense. Like tradition to us is not doing the same thing the the same way for just for the sake of doing it that way. Tradition for us tends to be something a lot more holistic and spiritual. Yeah, I mean it's it's the old joke. Give a white man a hammer, he'll build an empire. Give a Chinaman a hammer, and he'll make ten more hammers. Give a black a hammer, and he'll kill a white man. Give a Jew a hammer, and he'll give it to the black man. <laughs> I mean, that sums it up as far as I, I can see. I mean, I'm, and I'm not dogging. I mean, you know, I have a, a respect for your people, the, the uh, Northeast Asians. <laughs> but, um, you know, th there's a reason they never crossed the ocean. There's a reason that they, even to this day, don't really have a Blackwater Navy. There's a reason that they turned insular for so long is because they, you know, uh, once they discovered the outside world for a while, they were so, uh, you know, well, challenged I mean, by like, it, and you can they just take, close so you, themselves the, off. There's, there's, so, and so like this is considered pseudo history, but like you can even take the Gavin Menzies argument about, and I can't remember what the name. Was. There was a, there was a Chinese Muslim eunuch who was a, a big, great explorer for China, and he did, like he did explore a lot of the known world, especially for the known world of China at the time. And Gavin Menzies has this whole, uh, whole thesis about how that that Chinese eunuch was the one who actually discovered America. And now this is largely considered pseudo-history. It's not given a lot. I mean, I don't know how the paranormies feel about it, but it's. I'm just saying it's largely considered pseudo-history. But even if that were true, even if that were the case, that a Chinese eunuch discovered the Americas, what of it? They didn't do anything with it. Like you had one, you had one guy who had, like, if, let's, just, let's just take the, th the thesis on, on its face. You had one guy with a ship who discovered it. So what? And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't even try to build a colony like the Vikings. You know, it, it, the Viking colony obviously didn't last, but they at least made a, the, a go of it. Um, but, you know, it was only Europeans that looked at that, like you said, that looked at that challenging ocean that looked like, you know, who knows what's over the horizon? How will we die if we go out there? Well, let's give it a shot anyway. And that, to me, is more inspiring and gives me more hope about our people and our future than any day-to-day -day back and forth, owning the libs, owning the anti-white uh, people, owning, uh, you know, uh, oh, small victory here, small victory there. No, it's uh, – in the long run, spirit <laughs> I mean, will tell. I mean a bunch of, du a bunch of Dutch Protestants <laughs> – a bunch of Dutch Protestants sailed down to, the, to Africa. It's like, yeah, this is home. We're doing this. Yeah. They looked at the they looked at the north and south Cape. Was like, yeah, yeah, this is home now. We're making we're we're gonna do this. This will do. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as bad as Australia with the murder flies and the rape birds. But hey, we can do this. And it was such a, a place. And it was in a place where even the blacks were like, nah, we're not gonna go down there. That's that's not our that's not for us. <laughs> and. You know, and again, that's that's one of those. I, I just I just love the hypocrisy, and I I don't want to sit here and do the the, the 
sort of one-on-one hypocrisy thing, but in our spirit, white people really do hate hypocrisy. And it's the wool that's been pulled over their eyes is either they're just so blatantly lied to and gaslit that they just accept it, or their education has been so limited on purpose, not for any fault of their own, that they will sit there and say, oh, the Maori, yeah, they're indigenous to New Zealand. Oh, but the South Africans, they're colonizers. And I'm like, you understand that the Maori were only in New Zealand maybe 50 years before the South African or the, the, the Afrikaners landed in South Africa and colonized. You understand that, right? So they have as much right to be called indigenous people. But no, you can't do that because white people can't be indigenous to anywhere. They're, they're not even indigenous to Europe. I remember the, and I'll, I'm going to paraphrase it really badly, but I remember one of the best Hakan tweets that I don't think gets enough credit was basically talking about Mexican immigration being the, uh, being a, <laughs> being basically, what was it? Like he basically called it, a, you know, a, uh, a, a, uh, a genocidal campaign of the Aztecs against the, against their rivals in the North. Something like that. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. against the against the indigenous rival tribes in the north. Oh my god! Yeah, it's 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 we're at silly point, and I I only when I, I I actually want us to come up with a new term for for piss earth because it is gotten just so goddamn ridiculous. Um, I think it was on Thursday or uh, Friday or Monday's tedious. They were talking about they, they went into a little bit of deep dive on the new Dune, and that woman who wrote the article that. Oh, it's not enough that they replaced half the characters with with non-whites, even though that's kind of stupid considering that you know the book itself is very descriptive in the, of the characters. But it's just not enough, and it wasn't even enough. Even if they cast like uh, Ass Cancer Black Panther as uh, Paul Atreides, it still would not be enough because you have to interrogate the narrative of the the savior who comes along, even if he's not white, but especially if he's white, you have to interrogate the nature of power and this and that and it's just like can't you fucking watch a movie and enjoy it not that i'm gonna watch this movie because they've ruined it but i I just you know can't we just have things the way they should be and they make it like these are actual cultural crimes these are problems that have to be solved and it's just an ongoing never-ending give 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 let me have that let me have your story and let me rewrite your story let me have your history. Let me take your traditions. Let me take all of this and then turn around and say, by the way, you didn't invent anything. Black people, non-white people, Jews, whoever, we all built this. And you couldn't have it unless you had the divergence. It's like, no, it's, this is not it. That ain't how it works. Mm-hmm. Just got to keep, I don't know, you just got to keep denying them. Like, but, you know, it's hard to have that moral confidence. That, to me, like, is kind of the the main problem here. Because you can articulate this stuff, but unless somebody has the moral confidence to say this in a way where it doesn't come off as defensive, because that's the problem. And I understand, like, I'm not blaming anybody for this. But the fact is, is that because of the way our situation is, a lot of people, when they're put into a situation of having to articulate what they believe they're in a defensive position. I, I think of that, that kid who he, he went viral that one time and he had, I think he had had a couple drinks. He was a college kid and he was outside and he, he basically was saying like, he doesn't feel guilty about being white. And 
it made a stir and nothing can ended up coming of that i think because they didn't want to draw attention to that stuff at the time but the fact is like he was put on the defensive as well and i understand like i i, I get it like again i'm not being critical here but what i want people to have is moral confidence and yes in what they believe in and how and how they express their views like because if you have moral confidence in it when they come at you it doesn't really even it won't phase you to the point where you need like this like you need to say something in defense you'll whatever you end up no, you saying you go immediately on attack yeah you either yeah, go on they, attack or, or, you, does, or, or what they say just doesn't have any effect on you and you're able to say what you actually want to say yeah, I mean, it's like when, like you said, like or like the that ASU incident where, uh, you know, what the the, the frizzy-haired mulatto was like, white people don't have a culture, and we've heard that so many other times from so many other anti-whites. She was just repeating it. She, that was nothing original in her head. I don't think there's anything original in her head, but it's like literally, bitch, you are standing in white culture. Everything around you is white culture. The language you are speaking is part of white culture. The clothes on your back are white culture. All is the electricity that you enjoy. Is definitely something your people couldn't have come up with. You appropriated. So don't tell me. If anything, there's no such thing as black culture. And to have the moral confidence to be able to say that, or at least even if you don't want a confrontation, even if you need to you know, maintain your cover or whatever, to not be phased by it. To just be able to like, whatever. That's enough. And that's one of the things that we have to inspire more of our people. And I think it's there. It's just dormant. Now, somebody in the chat mentioned, you know, speaking of uh, white erasure and white replacement in media, the new Lord of the Rings, um, they're going to they're going to um, diversify our people, the hobbits. Me and, you. <laughs> and, and it's it, and again, it just it, I there's I, I don't want to even like make an allowance of like I kind of understand why you would do this if you're trying to do a mass market product. I don't, though. It doesn't make any sense from a narrative st standpoint. One of the main characters, Samwise Gamgee. Makes a point that he has never been more than like a couple of miles from the Shire. Well, so how the fuck? To, to me, that you just make fun of that. Like, is like, oh, is like, what is it? like, are you saying they, no? Like, what you do is like, you just, I think you agree and amplify. Is like, yeah, it's it's amazing that those hobbits crossed all the way over to the United, you know, all, all the way over to Hobbit Africa, enslaved all those Hobbit Africans, and brought them over to the Shire. And they're still yeah. dealing with, with. They're still dealing with the problems of of white Hobbit privilege. Yeah. Well, that's what, I, and that's where I, I, I'm just, I'm just like attacking it from a, a, a narrative standpoint, which is a people who are so insular as the hobbits were, who really did not le like leaving the Shire for any reason at all, and who, you know, Bilbo and Frodo were like the first two to ever really, you know, do it and go on an adventure. How the fuck would they have people of different races? Within their little community, where would they have come from? It just doesn't make sense. Well, that's what that's what I'm saying. Agree, so many agree, because like, the thing is, like, it's so absurd. The, the, that if we're talking about that specific premise, that that premise is so absurd. I think you have to treat it because like here, here's what the the system does to you, is that they present this to you. <laughs> the hobbits and, were the first bug breakers. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the brandy buck breakers. That's the show title. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, chat. You come through again. They 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 present it to you as though they don't have to explain this, and then of course, if you if you ask for an explanation, they're gonna slap you down twice as hard. 
So mm-hmm. you, you know you have to take you have to take their premise and just like in a situation like this, this is not a one size fits all thing. But you have to take it and just agree and amplify with it. And you have to expose it for the absurdity that it is because like they they want you to be upset about it. That's the the whole. It's designed to humiliate and upset you. And I'm not saying yeah, well, don't don't be mad about it, but you have to like. It, it, if you want to engage in a discourse that subverts them, like you have, like that's just the way you're gonna have to go about. It. Like that's how you have to navigate these power structures. I don't want to um, mislabel this, but I think it was the discussion of the the new Dune um, on Tedious, where the writer of the uh, c- complaint piece basically was saying that Richard Spencer is not mad enough about, or this this should make Richard Spencer mad, but he needs to be madder about it. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah. But she kind of tipped her hand that that's the motivation is to piss off white people or pro white people. And yeah, the more you just let it roll off your back because one, you know it's bullshit and two, you know that we can fix this. Yeah. We when we when we win, when we take power, a lot of this is going to be undone and it's not going to be a pretty day for all the people who did this to us. They're going to be going down in history on the, the quote-unquote wrong side of history. Um and it's just not even hard to imagine. I mean, like, you know, put yourself in the, in the thought of if the good guys had won the Second World War and you had a semi-united Europe under the sphere influence of Germany, what do you think would have really happened? Um, who would have been interrogating the narratives, the, the subversive narratives, the Jewish narratives for the last hundred years in, in Europe? Who would have been calling it all out, purging it, removing it, and replacing it with proper European ideals and morals and mores. It would not have been hard, and they would have done it in a heartbeat. Um, so fixing all this after the victory is going to be easy. The, the long road right now and the long fight right now is getting to that victory. And I don't, wor- I don't worry about that stuff, to be honest. <clears throat> the act of victory itself... I don't. I, I'm going to be honest, Spectre. I don't see it happening in our lifetimes, or at least if we, if it is, it's going to. We're going to be old men at the time. The people who are going to really taste way ahead vi- of you. <laughs> the people who are really going to taste victory are going to be our our sons and grandsons. And I, yes. the only thing I would love to see, the only thing I really wish and pray to see, is that we get to see the stories and songs that they get to write for themselves because it, yeah. it's great to have all this old stuff. It really, and I'm not, I'm not, and that was the point I was trying to make earlier that it's important to be able, you know, like, it, you know, to preserve the stuff requires a certain a spirit and ability to preserve the spirit more than anything. And that also translates to the ability to write stories and, and songs and, and all the, ballads and what have you all that stuff the ability to do that and i want to see what they write like i don't i don't want to i don't want our civilization to be looking backwards like and, and looking at statues like wow that was a that was a great thing our ancestors did two thousand years ago that that's stuff that does need to be preserved but mm-hmm. i i want i want our mindset to be Look at the amazing things that we did and that our sons did, and especially our grandsons did. That, to me, is 
the most important thing. I, I, I worry sometimes because this is, and I understand where it comes from, but I worry sometimes about the kind of like the more reactionary mindset I think that kind of sets in for some of our guys. And part of that is because there's so little forward thinking stuff for them to work with. There's so few, yeah. so few progressive futurists, whatever, whatever word you want to use. There's so few of that stuff for them to, to latch on to and to work with. So of course you're going to be, uh, backward looking in that in that sense of course you want to especially when you had a more coherent society of course you're going to look at at nicer more pleasant things of course that's what you want to see as the template but you know that's not going to i know i just don't think that's going to mean much to the people who are going to need to do to to win at the end of the day i don't know if that's going to mean as much to the people who need to win and i want to see what stories and songs they write I hope we can impart on them the lessons they need to learn, but I want to see what they create. Absolutely. Uh, now, it's easy for a lot of our people to do the thought experiment of what would have happened had Germany won and, and think in terms of we would have gone to Mars by now. We would have, you know, we know some of the things that uh, our uncle had planned, you know, culturally and all this, uh, or scientifically and exploration wise and all that. And we saw what Warner Brothers Braun was able to almost single-handedly to do when he was brought to the United States. But we don't think as much about what new literature, what new film would have come out of a victorious Germany. And they were already you know, leading the way in, in film and cinema, uh, going back to Metropolis, going back to Lenny Riefenstahl. And the storytelling that would have happened then, it's, it, I don't know if I'm using this word right, but the opportunity cost of that loss in terms of literature and media – and movies and all of that, it's harder to imagine than planting a flag on Mars, right? So try to take that energy you could easily imagine with you know uh, a nice big red and white and black flag on Mars, and all that would have you know occurred from there, you know total Aryan space victory, and all those stories that you have made up in your head, and then think about the actual you know high literature, the the music, the the things that they would have brought about. And when you do that, you you see this whole different world, and it's and of course you cry a little bit inside because it didn't happen. But then take that that that, that ability to to imagine it and put it towards our future victory. And like you said, when all of this other stuff is is just you know erased from the the culture, all this this negative, narcissistic, paused, Jewish, uh, pornographic, just you know, disgusting nonsense that permeates our culture right now, once that's removed, that next generation who are taught the fundamentals of our old ways and our old victories and all of this, what will they make of it? And especially, in, you know, in the post-celebratory world that they will inhabit. And then their children who will never have to have known living under this. That's going to be, there's going to be an explosion of, of, of this, of, you know, all these new things that, like you said, I hope I live long enough to see at least the beginning of. Yeah, and and that's I guess that it matters a lot to me because like I see what the, you know, I see the youth culture, even for white, like mm-hmm. not, and I don't just mean the, the the one that's imposed upon them, but the one that's also being created and because and because it's a reflection of of the the time of the times we're dealing with it. I don't think it imparts very well what matters and it it's 
I'm gonna come off very moralizing, and I guess it can't be helped. Like I'm just here comes here comes dad to ruin everybody's fun, but I get it. I I get there's going to be a level of irony and dialism present in in any youth culture right now that that develops, especially when it's a, an extremely online type thing. But I wanted I just I hope to see that something more constructive comes out of it. Because I think, to me, that's going to be the best indication of a of any kind of spirit that wants to innovate, survive, conquer, thrive, whatever, you know, whichever, whichever word you want to use to describe all this. Because what, uh, what worries me more than anything, I guess, and which is funny because I, I read uh, World After Liberalism by Matthew Rose, and one thing, I don't know if this is an, if I would call this an accurate assessment of Yaki's writings, but one thing he, he pinpointed in Yaki's thought is that he was more concerned about people becoming Jewish in a spiritual sense because of culture distortion. And I worry about that because even if like, even you, even if you have this core of people, if the culture, if if their culture is one that's just so distorted that's basically negrified and, and Judaized, I mean, even if you have the genetics there, like what does that what does that fundamentally mean? Is this going to be, is the, is the, is it going to maintain that fire that's going to be necessary? Because like there's, the, and this is ultimately kind of the, what was some of the point of Yaki's writing. This is that why he rejected a lot of the more materialist views on race. I'm not going to get into that into that dispute and debate. But he did believe that. Fundamentally, he did believe that if you if you degenerate a race enough, then the genetics don't matter. I can see that argument, but I just I don't concede it. Okay, if that makes sense. Um, like you you mentioned irony and 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 the things that have have absorbed the youth culture and and really the adult culture at this point, uh, especially among whites. I mean, at least I don't want to get let them off the hook easily. But it is a reaction to the world we live in. And again, thinking towards that post-victory future, the youth then, especially the ones who never even knew this, I don't have a problem with a certain kind of rebellion and subversion amongst the youth in any healthy white society. Because to me, that's the creative spirit. That's the questioning spirit. You know, you can build on... You need to build something good, but you need to build it on the on the the shoulders of your ancestors. But you also need to question and push the limits of it. I think that's why I think that's natural for European people, and it's exactly why going back to what you were talking about with the Asians and becoming so insular and so so built uh, so so focused on tradition and repetition and never changing anything. That's why they never really grew. You can As also see, to, and to kind of build on your point there, you can also see like I don't know how, and I and I and I see this as somebody who lived over there. I I just don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like I got a strong sense of their own spirit. But you could make the argument that that's a big reason why they're having some of the problems they're having, is because that rote tradition doesn't speak to to the youth that live in Japan and South Korea because they live under you know these are occupation governments as well, but. You know, they, the, the, the tradition of the old doesn't make sense in the context of the reality they have to live in. So it gives them nothing to work with. Because that's something I talked about as well. I think I, 
I might have talked about on on the hyper podcastism is that you have this um, situation where a lot of Asians are kind of doing the soul searching, at least in Japan and South Korea, doing the soul searching about how rude the youth is and how disrespectful to the old they are. And they, you know, they fight for tradition for the sake of tradition, but it's like, what, what does that tradition mean for, for technological youth that also have to deal with the domination of the United States government in a cultural sphere? Yeah. It's, you know, I, I still to this day don't understand the first fucking thing about K-pop. I just know it exists, <laughs> and 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 how awful you know South Korean culture is right I now. I created it. And I don't understand it. There you go. And but it's none of this stuff would exist without the American uh, global homo empire moving in and occupying. Just like you said, Japan the same way, um, Germany the same. All all of the things that are wrong are because of this evil empire in which we live. Uh. And it's it's all reactions to it, and it's kind of and, you know I, I wonder if some future sociologist will be able to look back, some future historian, and explain here's why Japan became the way it did under American occupation, and here's why Germany became this way under American occupation, and it goes to the character and the histories and the traditions, and all these things about the individual, the, the individual, or, or the, the rather the the races in each country, or each region. I, again, I. Maybe I'm in a forgiving mood or something, but I, I don't blame even the the irony bros that I, I can't stand here. In a way, I don't blame them because it's they're just reacting without really thinking it through. To oh, I don't, I don't blame this them. unbearable this unbearable situation in, in which we find ourselves. I mean, we talk about a lot how like sometimes we feel like we're taking crazy pills, or you know, how many times a day do you need to scream into a pillow because you feel like you're going mad. And maybe I'm just a little more chill about it, but you know, uh, we have found a more healthy, a more uh, serious and sober-minded way of dealing with it, and we're actually trying to do something about it. You know, the, the vast majority of people out there are never going to be part of the solution. I mean, I get what. So, my my whole thing with irony is like, I get why people cope with irony. I mean, that, that's the Lewis Hyde thing of you know, I, I, it's a paraphrase of it, but the irony is a bird. That has come to love its cage. It's like Lewis Hyde in his essay on irony delves deeper into it, where he basically explains it's it's a slave song, is what it is. It's a, it's a, you know, like you have you had blacks with their Negro spirituals, and that was a way of coping with their situation. Well, that's mm-hmm. that's what irony is. And irony is a Negro spiritual. It's a way. It's a way of coping. And, oh my God, that's how, if we didn't already have a perfect show title, that would be a good one. <laughs> I, I, I irony like, is a negro spiritual we'll put it in the notes uh i i still think brandy buck breaking is better but you know oh absolutely with, with the with the with the idea of that irony being a, a negro spiritual like it's it is a coping mechanism it's just you can get very invested in the cope sorry now i don't remember where, where i was going with this oh now i remember you know, it, it's a coping mechanism, but the problem is that, okay, you tell people to stop coping, but you're not really giving them anything to work. And this is something that bothers me a lot because I don't have an answer as well. I get mad about the irony stuff, but I mean, the, 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 the fact of the matter is it's a long road ahead. I guess this kind of harkens back to like, there's no certainty in victory and all this stuff <laughs> with, with like, especially with the whole exploration aspect. There's no 
certainty in victory. There's no, I can't, I, you ask me, okay, Borzoi, all right, I'm going to be honest with myself. I'm going to stop doing irony posting. I'm going to stop being an edgelord. I'm serious about this stuff. I want to see a victory. Are you saying join the N, the NJP and we're going to march our way to victory? That's not what I'm saying. Um, okay, give me a program. Like, what, what are we doing? Like, I don't know. That's the thing. Like, that's that's the most troubling aspect of don't, all of this stuff. Is that, that don't we, let like, that bother you? I don't. Well, don't, but let me. I, let me, I would I, say I, don't, I know, don't let, let, let it just, trouble you. I know, but let okay, me let ahead. me just kind of tease out this point, and then I think you have a good response to all that. Is that my honest view on it? Is that I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be very difficult. And right now, and in my view, there is no quote unquote movement. There's nothing you can just up and join. Like talk. Like saying the N word on the internet is not a movement. It's no. The, the, it gives you it's an the indication. Start of a movement. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's an indicate. It's a say. Well, it's a start of a tower, is what it is. But yes, it gives you an indication of that there's like-minded people, and that's what, to me like where the building blocks. Like you start with that, but I don't know. Like just because I have an audience doesn't mean like all right. I I guess that's the flaw in a lot of this thing. Is like oh wow, I I, I I'm reaching people. I guess I gotta do something. It's like sometimes doing something is worse than not doing something. So, like, before you do something, make sure it's the right thing you do. And I, I guess I'm going to let you kind of, I'm going to kind of kick it to you then, because I think you know where I'm going with this. Like, I don't know what to tell people that after I've told them, like, all I can tell them is, like, live a better life, but... Well, no, I mean, this is, this is we're in, we're in, um, we're in uh, virgin territory here, where we are. Um, there's no clear roadmap. I mean, we can look at certain things in history, um, certain movements that grew, a certain parallel one to ours that, oh, what a coincidence. It was started about 100 years ago. Um, and we, we can learn a lot from it because we are in a situation in a lot of ways similar but very different at the same time. And the idea that we don't know the roadmap, we don't know what the next step always is, uh, we're still kind of feeling our way um, to victory is not – a daunting thing to me. I'm, I'm a little bit of a student of military history and certain battles and certain um, campaigns and all that. And one thing that an honest historian who looks at even some of the most commonly known um, battles will tell you is the, the margin of victory here was so close that the things that seemed miraculous that came off that helped the one side over the other the other side was experiencing the exact same problems, and you can sit there and say, oh, you know, in hindsight, it was obvious that side B was going to lose, but that's actually not true, especially at the time, and it would have taken one, you know, uh, one rusty nail could have turned the tide of the battle, as the old saying goes. Yeah, you know, for one of a nail, the, the shoe lost yeah, the his horse. Whole, yeah, exactly. The horse lost his shoe. And, and so, yes... We have, as we've grown as a movement, as we've, you know, started trying to draw a battle plan to victory, and sometimes we make missteps, or we have made missteps, and sometimes we don't always seize on certain opportunities, or sometimes we, uh, you know, fumble opportunities we are given. That's very much like almost every battle that has taken place in history, in that it was just a couple of, like, changing factors that made the difference, but being there on the field, bringing, you know, marshalling your troops, marshalling your, your, your political troops, whatever you want to call it, um, is the first step. And that's what I feel like we've done. And 
you know, guiding people away from these uh, rabbit holes that are useless, these, these or these pointless arguments, trying to bring about a certain unity, trying to, you know, quell the infighting, trying to figure out the best way to, you know, go forward. That's really the way it's always every struggle really is political, uh, martial, any other sort. I don't know why. I was just thinking of some classic Korean war quotes that just sound like to be like the kind of to the like the kind of things you would you would say. I guess like to kind of deal with our situation. There was there's one. Um, we uh, well, let me see. Let me find the first one here. Here it is. Uh, retreat. Hell, we're just attacking in another direction. Yeah, that was that was. Uh, I think that was Chesty Polar. Uh, one of his uh, other Oliver, famous quotes Oliver was, P. Smith, First uh, Marine Division in Korea. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, Chessie Puller had the one that was, they've got us surrounded. That makes things easy. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, got, it, I got it right here. They're in front of us, behind us, and we are flanked on both sides by an enemy that outnumbers us 29 to 1. They can't get away from us now. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, sometimes I feel like that. And, and you know, I don't, I don't concede that we're going to lose. I really don't. I do know, I know in my heart, and I have faith, that in the long run, this is a generational struggle maybe, but we will win. And the the odds being what they are, the fact that we are the, the the pioneers, we're the first ones stepping through the breach. We are the we are the paratroopers, parachuting behind enemy lines, where we're always going to be surrounded and outnumbered. That's fine with me. I'm I'm good with that. I mean, what did our uncle say? What what is the point of life without struggle, right? In fact, it's going to be the hard chore is going to be after the victory for people to remember not to let the times get so good that men become soft again. These are the times they're going to create the hard men. And so I'm actually optimistic. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not depressed at all. You know, people would think that, oh, oh, we just have to cope. It's so hard. And this is clown world. And yes, it is. And yes, I get as angry as you do. I read an article. I will set it in front of a normie and say, what do you see? What stands out to you about this article in the newspaper? And it's when something about a white and a black, and, and of course W in white is lowercase, and black is as if it's a fucking piece of royalty. It's ap- it's uppercase. And half the time they don't even notice it. And I'm like, I just want to take the newspaper and shove it down their throat. But I don't. I don't do that. Why? Because I am assured of our victory because I believe in our people. The most optimistic thing to me is the fact that people know who Francis Parker Yaki is. Because if you actually look at the circumstances behind his life, what happened to him, and the situation now, he really should be somebody you know. Because he, you know, he ostensibly committed suicide in order to protect oh, his no, contact, contacts in 1960. And the only reason why people read uh, Imperium and knew about him was because um, oh, Wills Cardo kind of was the and uh, Oliver P. Ravello were the ones who, who kind of kept like the, the his torch alive. And a lot of people, uh, unless you were into really niche far right circles, a lot of people just didn't know who who he was. And to this day, I think I think more people know the myth of Yaki than they they've actually read Imperium, which is um, which is fine, I think, because Imperium is not exactly it's it's a good read. I, I don't I, I've said before it's a difficult, but I think if you understand Spengler's concepts, you can read it just fine. But anyway, wait, wait, wait. reading Spengler or reading Yaki? Well, both. If you if you understand Spinkler, you can understand Yaki. That's what I mean. That's, that's well, Yaki. I'm actually I'm about halfway through it right now. Imperium. Are you reading Imperium? And nice. yeah, um, I can't remember. It was something you said that I was like, yeah, I've I've been putting this off too long, 
And I, I told you like um, the why we fight became my for a while. It's my bathroom reader because it's, you know, small enough essays and short enough chapters that, you know, you're, you're having your morning coffee or you're doing whatever. It's perfect. It starts your day off. Uh, the chapters in Imperium are some of the materials a little bit thick and you do have it does cause you to think and that's fine. But they're short. They're not self-contained, but they kind of are. So you can read a chapter and then come back to it a little it's, while later. It's definitely and, written by somebody who had lost his notes and was basically dictating it from memory. Yes, yes, I can, I can see that definitely. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but the point wow, is somehow, that oh, you know, I mean, I'm glad people are reading. I'm glad people are reading Imperium. I'm glad people are reading Yaki. But the point is that the myth matters more, and that was a myth that could have easily been. For, I mean, how many there? How many figures can you? Uh, I mean, if we don't if we don't know about them obviously we're not i'm not gonna be able to say who they are but the amount of people who probably died for an idea and we just don't know who they are well and yaki's just the one that's because he had a couple of people who were able to carry literally just like when i say a couple i'm not exaggerating just a couple mm-hmm. just a handful at most a couple of people who carried his torch of a, this idea of a man who had died for an idea and to the and now Let's see here. Yeah, we're we're sixty years. Yeah, sixty years after his death, sixty-one years after his death, and uh, people still know who he is. And actually, people m- more people now know who he is compared to then. That to me shows the just how much it's not over. Like like in the like you can you can understand like somebody like Yaki thinking in those final moments as he's dying is like well it's it's over. And he doesn't get to see mm-hmm. what happens next, and I don't know. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna comment on like what he thought was gonna happen within the next sixty years. But more people know, more people know who he is now than back then, and that tells me something. It tells me that there is like things don't like no matter how hopeless things seem, that you're not getting the bigger picture of it. Yeah, I would actually – I don't know if – maybe this tool is out there, but I would love to see not just like uh, internet search interest but actual book sales for things like either Imperium or Next Time the World or White Power or uh, you know by Commander Rockwell or all these other um, foundational books, um, Evola's books, whatever. I would love to see comparison of their sales in like say the last 10 years versus uh, at the times when these people were more well-known or alive. Well, I can give you some. I, 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 I can, can give almost, you, I can almost guarantee it's it's a lot higher now. Uh, I can do uh, the Google Ngram viewer for uh, like for example, I just put Yaki in there and uh, nineteen sixty. There's a spike, which is the year that Yaki died, and then it dies off, um, and then you see the next spike, which is higher than nineteen sixty in 2006 2005 2006 drops off again and now <laughs> the uh the cert, the the engram viewer for yaki as a 2019 on this thing is more than twice the 1960 height and now zangram uh, is that references like, it, in other materials or yeah, is that it's references what, in other that materials that's like, but that gives you like some idea like it's not a perfect metric. Like I've used it before mm-hmm. to show like how how fake and gay the Black Wall Street meme is. Like it was never talked about until the 1980s. Right. Okay. Well, I it, it's it's funny that I mean it, when you think about the tools that I mean 
are we have savvy enemies. Never underestimate your enemy. Um, they use incredible means of brainwashing from from cradle to grave uh, to to uh, attack to demonize all of these ideas you know that that we uh, cleave to. And so so don't underestimate that. But on the other hand, think about because of the way now. Yaki, Evola, uh, Rockwell, any of these other writers and, and thinkers uh, may have at some point gone along the wayside, but they're never – they have never been like uh, no – I can't remember a time, and, and maybe somebody can tell me otherwise, when you know Rockwell was uh, incited or cited as the, the devil incarnate, and yet I, I, I can guarantee you not a day goes by that a million people don't na- say the word Hitler. And don't say the word Nazi, because they have been programmed that this is the ultimate evil. This is you can't have uh, spiritual evil. You can't have the idea of Satan and hell and, and demons. Um, you can't have any other concept of evil except for Hitler and the Nazis. That eventually wears thin. They have not spread out their um, their caricatures, their their straw men or anything like that. And so the, the way they keep relying on it, it, you know, it hits less every time. And people start to go, okay, well. What is it the Nazis actually believed? And so you have a whole generation, multiple post-war generations, that despite all of this, so many of us are looking at it going, well, if they don't like it and I hate them and they hate me, maybe I should look into it because they never changed their script up. You know, I, I, I think there was a time when in America the worst thing you could be called was a Benedict Arnold, obviously pre-war. Um, but now it's everything's Nazi and Hitler. And, well, I mean, the, you, yep. you'll still hear it from some, from time to time from a from a boomer, and then you know the the zoomers at the mulatto perm go, huh? Who's that? Exactly. But but you see what I'm saying? Like no, pre World War Two, no, no no cap, bro. I don't understand who that is. Yeah. Um, pre World War Two, that was who was considered like the most evil man in American history. And of course, you also could have religion back then, so you could, you know, actually incite Satan and demons and all that as the ultimate evil. You didn't have this post-war uh, holocaustanity that we live under. But I, I guess I guess where I was going with that is interest in all this, you know, and not just the, the superficial, not just the edgy, not just the irony, not just the the memes and all that has grown. Intellectual interest in these ideas, and you're seeing it, it's why. We never get to debate on neutral ground with the other side because they know we, we know the shit better than they do. It's why Holocaust uh, affirmers will not debate actual Holocaust fact checkers because we've done the research. They haven't. They're just going along. They're just – I forgot uh, who was the artist on the cartoon I saw the other day, but it, it captured it great. It showed um, a child in uh, middle or uh, elementary school. On the blackboard, it said Nazis are bad, and then it showed the, the the same kid like a couple years later in a movie theater, in the movies Nazis are bad, and in the college uh, the college classroom Nazis are bad, and then the, that person says to another person Nazis are bad, and the person goes, you know, I disagree, and the person goes, you're brainwashed. Uh, okay. I don't think I've seen that one. I've seen a lot of them by that. I, I actually don't think I've seen that one. Oh, I can send it to you. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I just – we don't ever want to underestimate our enemy because that's how you lose any kind of battle. But 
our enemy is not some all-powerful boogeyman. The Jews are not all-powerful. They make mistakes. They, they, they're, they're plodding along just like anybody else. They happen to have the levers of power and the seats of power or the ears of power right now. But they, as we've seen the way they, when they overstep, when they overplay their hand, they are not infallible. They can be beaten. They have been time and time and again throughout history, and they will again. I mean, I don't, I don't worry too much about the logistics of that. I mean, yeah. I think that's, I think that's, I guess that like, I, to get to the point I was trying to make, and I think I was stumbling more than usual, is that I don't worry about the logistics of the situation. I don't, I don't have a logistical because exactly. that's what when people ask you, well, what do I do? What do I do? Give me, you know, get, like I listen to your podcast and I agree with you. Now you have to give me the roadmap. It's like I don't have a logistical solution for you. I just don't. But no, and 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 nobody does. I mean, again, you can't know what the battlefield of ideas of politics or whatever will be tomorrow. You can plan and prepare your best and and show up and half that's half the battle and all of this. But don't think you have to have an, you know, an invincible plan and overwhelming superiority. What you have to do is show up for the battle and be nimble and, and, and take advantage of the opportunities. Uh, don't give the enemy opportunities. And again, I, I know this sounds like I'm, I'm, being re uh, I'm repeating myself here, but so many battles in history where the I – mean, I'm failing to think of an exact example, but – Everybody kind of like says, oh, I can't believe this general did that. How, how bad he fucked up. And it, it should have been obvious to him he was going to lose. And it, it was so obvious that uh, this other general was going to win the battle. But that's not the way it was at all. It was so close. And again, for just one little factor changing, the entire story would have been rewritten. And everybody would have praised the losing general and, and uh, barbecued the, the losing general. But if you check your uh, Telegram, I sent you that cartoon. Oh, and, and let me put. If it you want to show it to the, to yeah. the audience, I don't have it. I don't have the thing showing. Um, and I okay. See, oh, Furarius is the uh, yeah. I guess the title the of, of the yeah. cartoon. Although, I don't know. Anyways, uh, the and actually the, like, I, the signature in the bottom right looks like it says Borzoi. So was that you? <laughs> yes, I made this cartoon. No, but I, I guess the fundamentally the point to me is that I won't be able to tell anybody like here's the here's the path forward until I see a thousand screaming radicals at a, a parent teacher conference basically showing solidarity for any any group of people any parent that's there and that's and, and until we have that's why they're going to keep falling into these Fox News traps where they're basically saying like. They're they're talking about real things, but making very bad points. Yeah, and I mean that's the like, the CR. What is it? Uh, critical race theory is is not anti-white. It's it's just racist. It's, uh, oh no, you missed you missing the point. Which no, goes, no, which, the, which goes the, right back to the moral confidence thing. Really? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, 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 I guess I, I that's gonna be funny when our people search. Yeah, well, okay. I'm just gonna say it's gonna be funny if our people do start showing up um, in in droves to support, you know, at these school board meetings and such. Especially considering that last year we had peaceful protests that what was it, six billion dollars worth of damage, probably up to a hundred people killed, um, and now the actual domestic terror is parents showing up complaining about masks and uh, critical race theory being taught in school. 
So uh, that's that's the situation we're in, and we have to realize that and accept it if we're going to figure out a way to fight it. So it's going to be fun if you know enough of our people decide, hey, let's start doing that. And this is not a call to action because I don't do that, but I'm just saying, like, based on your example, that would be it's going to be well, interesting to, me, to see to how me, to me, how bad they have to get. To me, the call to action is teaching people you know. Okay, it's like Borzoi, you keep you 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 have voice on internet. You must give me roadmap and and thing to do. It's like okay, fine, I'll give you some homework. You gotta you gotta teach somebody you know to have moral confidence in what they believe. That's your homework. Because I I guarantee you, if I if I guarantee you, if ever literally every single one of our listeners took took someone they knew. Who and I'm not talking like not red pilling them. Like it doesn't matter like what their opinions on blacks and the Jews are. Like if you taught them to have moral confidence in themselves and their beliefs, we would. I guarantee you, within a year, we'd already be in an objectively better place. If if just literally, if literally every single one of our listeners was able to give somebody that you know the moral confidence to speak about having to explain themselves. You want homework? Yeah. There you go. There's your homework. You you teach someone to have moral confidence. At the very least, teach them to say so what when they're called a racist. Yeah, that is moral confidence. It's just in the short form. Yeah, there's your so, actually, there's, there's your podcast homework. Yeah, well, I had no idea that my talking about just the concept of envy uh, as part of the hatred of white people would would lead us to this hour and twenty minute conversation. But I like it. Our, our you want to move on to anything well, else? Because it's just you and me, our, our sidecars tend to be a little bit more thoughtful and philosophical. Well, I wasn't really surprised by that because that's why I didn't really worry about the prep, uh, about bringing any prep. I, I got prep just in case, but I wasn't really worried about it because I knew like you and I podcast so little together these days that I figured anything with us would just be philosophical catching up. Well, come on now. I'm I'm going to make an effort. I'm back from vacation. I'm back no, from a couple of things. No, what I'm well, no, what I'm saying is because we don't podcast enough. Like when when you and I talk, it's just we're catching up on on philosophical thoughts that have been left kind of dangling. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. I thought that was just a complaint that I've been lazy lately. No, no. But I'm I wasn't lazy. That, I was traveling. I know. I'm not gonna like. I'm not. <laughs> that that's your that's just your guilt speaking. I wasn't gonna put you on the spot. I'm just saying like it's. I been, do feel guilt because I've seen how much content you've been putting out and i'm kind of jealous and, and i'm like oh man um do you want to move on to anything else or what do you think well it's been any last thoughts 80 minutes uh, well a little bit less but it's been 80 minutes i mean we we tend to try to do 60 to 90 minutes on these things did you what if you have something you definitely want to talk about let's talk about it but if you don't really want to get into it then don't worry about it well, not really. I mean, nothing that I was going to get into deep anyway, and especially if we can't show it to the live audience. Oh, I can but, show it. Uh, I, just, I, went, I just didn't no. have it pulled up. That's all. Like, what, no, what, 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 all right, um, you want to do it. You obviously want to do it. What, what, what's the, which, which, is it, which piece is it? The Rolling Stone piece. Okay. Charlottesville lawsuit. Yeah, let me, now, give me a, sec, give me a second. I'll have it pulled up. Going back to the gaslighting, um, you'll see it in uh, being um, uh, a writer and a journalist and all. I, I pick words apart. Um, I, I, I see things that 20, 30 years ago would no objective editor would – or no even trying to be objective editor or following the basic style guidelines rules uh, editor would allow a writer to get away with saying. It's just uh, – it's pretty much just what happens today. And I'm not even talking about something as, as – some people say it's picayune. I say it's just part of a death by a thousand cuts. The uh, AP style thing of capitalizing black but not capitalizing white for people um 
I'm but transferring you see it, in, it to you, by the way, as well. Uh, okay. Um, you also see it in the way they, whenever they talk about something like uh, race and IQ or the things that, you know, people like us believe, it's always couched in these specific, specific discrediting terms like the, the long discredited, the, uh, the pseudoscientific theory of this and that. But then they also, even like, and this is not just in journalism, but in, in the law, we see the, the absolute injustice where you have black letter law that says, here's something you cannot do. And then you look at the Charlottesville lawsuit coming up that's actually going to start next week, Signs versus Kessler, and the plaintiffs openly and explicitly admit that their goal is to bankrupt and to stop public participation of people, white nationalists, distant rightists, uh, anybody else who is there, uh, and anybody else that they can. And so um, there's a, there's a, uh, a concept in, in law called SLAP. Strategic lawsuit against public participation. And then what they do is they damage and chill free speech and healthy debate by targeting people who, uh, you know, protest, who people by any kind of activists. And they are not going after what the people say per se. They are just using everything, every lawsuit and every legal trickery and lawfare that they can to literally bankrupt you, to make it where you do not want to participate in public life or in, in, you know, exercising your First Amendment rights. Because it'll get you in more trouble. It'll bankrupt you even further. Or it'll, you know, you saw what happened to this guy, so you better keep your goddamn mouth shut is what it kind of comes down to. And it's, it's, it's fucking legal mafia or, uh, you know, l- legal mafioso, whatever. But in this article, um, I want to skip down to the paragraph in question. Um, uh, talking about the, the science side in Science versus Kessler, um, which is a lawsuit against um, – that includes – Jason Kessler, the organizer of the Unite the Right, the Charlottesville uh, uh, March, for anybody who doesn't know, I guess. I can't believe that nobody knows. Um, it includes Richard Spencer, Christopher Cantwell, Andrew Anglin, who – good luck getting him in Lagos. Um, Matthew Heimbach, the Traditional Workers' Party, Vanguard America, Identity Europa, League of the South, National Socialist Movement, Nationalist Front, and two chapters of the Klan, some of which don't even exist anymore. Um – and this is lawsuit is being spearheaded by Roberta Kaplan, the Jewish cunt who um, – oh, did I say that out loud? Uh, who is you know just as goddamn crooked as the day is long. But in the paragraph uh, – I think it's about the fifth paragraph down. They say, if they, the plaintiffs, Roberta Kaplan, uh, Mayor Sines et al., succeed, the individuals and organizations will be forced to pay the victims for the damages they inflicted. No particular figure is named in the court documents. But it is IFA, that's uh, Roberta Kaplan's organization, explicit goal, explicit goal, that the cost will bankrupt the defendants. They are saying openly, they say publicly, our goal with this lawsuit is to bankrupt these people and therefore you know, have a, a broader chilling effect on, the, uh, on white nationalist, dissident right, etc. And that's absolutely against all – American jurisprudence always has been, and yet it's there, and it's just it's just in your face, and we're we're telling you that we're doing something that's illegal, so that we can have a political victory. And so, the, I guess and there's no the, point. The, the whole, the whole next paragraph is a fluff job about uh, Roberta Kaplan's uh, origins as the uh, where, where she got her name name uh, name to claim with the uh, same sex marriage 
lawsuits in the United yeah. States. Yeah, and um, it, uh, without going into any of the details about her, you know, uh, her attack on uh, Johnny Depp and siding with Amber Heard, to, you know, help bankrupt him, even though it's been kind of, I think it's been proven that, you know, he never abused Amber Heard. It was actually she who was doing the alleged abusing, nor anything about her defending Harvey Weinstein. Wonder why. Wonder why they don't mention that. But it's just a puff. I mean, I, I'm not surprised that this is in Rolling Stone. What is angering to me. Uh, I'm so very angry is that the actual uh, why? I mean, it's Judge Moon, so I know why. But any fair judge, if there were or I guess any Gentile judge or any non Shabos Goy judge would say, you've made statements publicly that this is a slap lawsuit dismissed. And in fact, with prejudice and you need to pay the defendants their uh, attorney's fees and maybe, you know, maybe a few fines as well, maybe some restitution. But that's just not the America we live in. So I'm not – this doesn't necessarily connect to my first topic other than you know, this is the kind of thing that will really piss you off. And you can't be looking to the courts for, your, um, for justice. So that's all. That's all I had. Have you ever read <laughs> – no, I'm not, I'm not going down this road. It's, it's such a bad joke. <laughs> I can't. Have I ever read what? Because I don't read it all, you know. Have you ever read The Stand by Stephen King? I have literally never read a single Stephen King book or short story in my life. Okay, and I assume you've never seen the uh, the miniseries either. I've seen outtakes of it or like you know video clips. Are you talking? Is this from the 1980s or something like that? 1990s. Something like that. So, so for the for the members of the audience who have seen it, when I was thinking of Judge Moon. Just think of the retarded character who always spells out a word and says that spells moon and just insert your own joke in there. That's where I was going with that. I'm not even going to bother <laughs> with it. I'm just not even going to bother with it. I can picture that. I can picture yeah. that. I just, I would, if, if I, if I, because of our millennial Zoomer audience, if, if I, it would not. I would yeah it's just it's just better if I explain it as the joke than actually do the joke just if you're if you're an Xer or a boomer just insert your own joke in there laugh, you know laugh, chuckle to yourself pour yourself a scotch and then call it a day and that's what we're going to do with this episode I think fair enough is I don't know if moon is 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 in fact just a shabbos goy or or not but uh, for what yeah. it stands like, like it's just how do, how do, that do other J- writings yeah, J E W. It spells moon. There you go. Yeah, that, I, literally, that was the joke I was gonna go with. But it's like if he doesn't know the reference, it's gonna be really confusing. I think for some reason that sticks in my head is maybe like some little clip I saw or another. Maybe yeah. somebody made a meme about. It. I don't know. Yeah. No. It's just like. <laughs> 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 so sometimes, sometimes there's a voice in the back of my head that goes, "That's like." Even by your standards, Borzoi, that's a terrible joke. Just shut your mouth, and I can't help no. myself. On this on this program, there's no such thing as a joke too terrible or a, de- a joke that's too much of a dad joke. But you know, you know what's a great joke is when you have to explain the the very localized time period reference that it makes. Oh no 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 no! The more you explain a joke, the funnier it is, especially when you have to explain it. Only if you're Norm Macdonald. Yes, that's true. Have you, ever, yeah, have, you ever, could, have, you, have you ever seen his frog joke? No, but I need to, I guess. 
Okay, I'll play it on the air. It's <laughs> can can we? Sure. I don't. Think, I mean, at this point, like, I, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Here, let me uh, let me get out of that right there. And is it, uh, is yeah, it the well, five minute one? Is like five minutes long or something? Oh no, that's like the moth joke. I can like this uh, the the Norm Macdonald frog joke is like I think two minutes long. I can I can easily easily frog goes into bank to get a loan. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the one right there. Oh, okay, you got it right there. Um, I have it on my screen, but I I can't play through. I don't think here. Uh, no, I'll just I'll just play it from here. It's like this is like, the show's basically over. This is just at this point, I'm just belaboring bonus it, content. Bonus content. A frog goes into a bank to get a loan. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> so the frog goes up to the lady, and she has a little name tag on, as they do. It says Whack. So her name is Mrs. Whack. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, can I uh, get a loan? Well, I don't know. You're, you're a frog. Well, I want a loan. Well, what's your name? Kermit. You're not Kermit the Frog. No, no, no. I was named after him. The name's Kermit Jagger. My father's Mick Jagger, and my mother's a frog. He fucked a frog, <laughs> and uh, and I'm his offspring. Is it? Well, anyways, I want a loan uh, for a lily pad. <laughs> well, you can't. I don't know if you can have one. Do you have any collateral? Well, I have this. The frog pulls out a a little sh shiny pink elephant. You know, and a little shiny pink elephant. So Mrs. Wack looks at it, and her name's Patty. I don't think this is much collateral, you know, but I'll talk to the bank manager about it, you know. There's a fro frog out there, Kermit Jagger, gave me this damn thing. Did you know, have any idea what this is? The bank manager says, <laughs> what is this? This is a knick-knack, Patty Whack. <laughs> Give the frog a loan. His old man's a rolling stone. <laughs> oh my God. So bad. Sometimes, sometimes, so sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I feel like that's what this show is, but not funny. Oh, come on. <laughs> we, we occasionally rise to the occasion. I told you in the, I, I told you in the, in our group chat, our show chat, the um, uh, the knock knock joke I told my um girlfriend. Yeah, the one that you posted on, uh, on yeah. Telegram. Yeah, I, I, just for the oh, benefit of people who don't follow us on Telegram, just go ahead, go go ahead and do it. I'll yeah. I'll play the role of your girlfriend in this. Knock knock. Who's there? Nazi interrogator. Nazi interrogator. Who? <laughs> we will ask the questions. <laughs> This is this is the point where the show ends. Yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, you got any plugs? I know you got a lot because uh, I, I got queued up for my next listen. Oh. It was actually America Against America. Okay, well, do you want to do my plug for me? Uh, no, I mean I I have it queued up. I haven't listened to it. Oh, <laughs> sorry. No, you queued it up. You thought you queued it up in in doing the plugs? Like, oh, okay, well, this is convenience itself. Uh, so. Okay. Right now, I'm working on bringing both shows back This for real this time. I know I've been promising it for a long time, but Hyper Podcastism is back. We're doing more 
shorter installments or work on America against America. I would like to do Leviathan and its enemies next, but right now it's America against America. I don't know if we're going to do weekly. It might be semi-weekly, but I'll keep people up to date on that. You can find on the right stuff that biz, obviously. And right now I'm building a stable for, for pause button hosts. And I got a couple episodes in the works right now. So that'll be back. Um, at, at worst case scenario, sometime in November, that I can guarantee. I, I don't, I don't make guarantees like that if I'm not confident in them. That will be back soon. So that's my plugs. Okay. Um, and I will. I'm planning on being on Saturday. Um, assuming we record on Saturday, I'll be on the next uh, third rail. You might need to talk so, to about that. I might not be around for that one. Okay. Um, that's fine. We or we could even do a Sunday one. Just we'll we'll work it out behind the scenes. Uh, I want to thank, uh, I think at the peak we had over 200 live listeners came out on g- short g- notice. Keep, so keep, you, keep, yeah, keep in mind, like, I literally, we didn't announce this. I just, I just went live and told people, like, hey, in 20 minutes we're doing a show. Yeah, exactly that's what I'm saying. Over 200 live listeners with no, you know, no, uh, forewarning. So I want to thank them. Um, go to national-justice.com for Eric Stryker's great journalism and dissident-mag.com for, uh, some magazine level quality journalism. Go to nationaljusticeparty.com to get your ideas, to figure out what you want to do with your oh, life. So, 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 to, to just turn uh, your life to, around. To, tomorrow, Frank's yelling at me, and he's actually justified in this case. Uh, eight Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, TPS. Frank's doing the hosting on that, so we won't have the buffering issues that I'm dealing with. 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Thursday, October, October 21st. Um, I don't know what the Hebrew oh, he year TPS, is, so I, I can't help you with that. I can't help you with that part. Um, trying to think of what other year calendars I know. Uh, Julian calendar. I'm sure it's the same thing, something like that. Anyways, Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the People Square, TPS. Nice. I still like his message in the chat, which was just, TPS, you fuck, Borzoi. <laughs> <coughs> And then um, go to antelopehillpublishing.com. Um, they have an incredible lineup of translate. Excuse-, <coughs> excuse me, I got a little bronchitis. An incredible collection of fiction, nonfiction, translations. Uh, it's a whole ecosystem of new literature. Cl- get them all, collect them all, share them with your friends. Don't share them with your friends. Buy some for your friends. That's that's the point there. And then join us every day, every week, behind at the TRS Radio Network behind the paywall for premium content. It's the right stuff. slash paywall. And that's it for this quiet Wednesday night. Remember, they hate us because they ain't us. Mr. Producer, hail victory. See ya, Kyle. We'll